Standby. Hello, this is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello, welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywin, and I am the lackadaisical Librocubicularist. <coughs> oh, man, it <coughs> seriously hurts when I do that. But sometimes I feel the need to. For some reason. And I don't know why. Today, my friends, is Book Bo Wednesday. Oh, wait. I just thought of maybe a reason. Today's Book Bo Wednesday is a collection of short stories from Stephen King. And that voice is kind of spooky. Huh? That's a possible reason. That, or I'm insane, or perhaps a tumor of some sort. I don't know. Many, many possibilities. I'm just throwing them out there and letting you decide for yourself. Something I should say at the top of every show, I do believe fairly important on a book of a Wednesday, and that is there will be spoilers. I do not try to censor I, my, my self. Anything could pop out and uh, just assume, although you're not supposed to because you make an asshole of your fucking self. Uh, that I will spoil things. So, you know, that is the one and only warning you are likely to get. Please take heed of it. Another thing I like to say at the top of every show is that if you like what you hear, and by that I mean this podcast and not the sort of ambient sounds in the room that you are in, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as those things are what help others find the podcast, which is a hope that I have. So please do so. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business which is today's sponsor, which is the Stephen King Nightlight. Once again, today's sponsor is the Stephen King Nightlight, which is basically just a regular nightlight when it's in the shape of Stephen King's face. So, you know, that's what it is. And it's sponsoring this. No more, no questions needed on that, I don't think. Uh, Okay, so, uh, I'd give you a little behind-the-scenes action that I'm pulling to the front of the scenes, which is, I am recording just the opening for this episode. Yeah, gonna, uh, record the actual episode tomorrow morning. I, uh, finished the book while at work today, so I hadn't uh, read any of my notes, but I figured, hey, why not get the, uh, get the opening done? That way we could focus on the book in the book alone in tomorrow's drive into work. This book, titled just after sunset. It's just before sunset right now, pretty much. So, that's a thing that I mentioned. Uh, it's, it's a short, it's a collection of Stephen King short stories. Um, 
there's a lot of them, it's 800 friggin' pages. This guy does not mess around when it comes to the amount of words he puts in his book. Uh, I don't really know how it's going to work out for my book Wednesday. Why do I have this unsureness? Well, because I have never, in all of my book Wednesday episodes, I don't think I've ever brought back a collection of short stories. One of the reasons that might be is because I kind of tend to shy away from uh, short story collections. I've read uh, some, mostly probably actually, mostly probably actually, from uh, Stephen King, when I think about it. It's just uh, I like to really get into a book. And I find the short story, although enjoyful at the time, for the most part, the majority of the time, they don't sort of pull me in as well as a long book book. Uh, kind of funny with this one. I didn't actually know it was a collection of short stories until I started reading it and then sort of quickly realized I did enjoy most of them. I'll probably remember to give my rating when I talk about this tomorrow. Oh, you know what I should do, and maybe I'll remember, maybe I won't, is to give a rating to each individual story. That would be smart of me. I probably won't remember to do that, but maybe I will. What I'll do here, since this is just the opening, is to give my sort of rating as a whole. Because I'm an unprofessional reviewer of things, I give my ratings out willy-nilly. Sometimes at the beginning, sometimes at the end, sometimes in the middle, sometimes not at all. Those ones are, are embarrassing. Uh, so, I'm just going to go a three out of five, maybe the occasional four out of five, and to be 100% honest with you, maybe an occasional two out of five. Uh, it's just that whole short story thing that doesn't uh, blow me away. You know what? I will say... Uh, when it comes to Stephen King and short stories, if you want to read a really, really good one, and one I really liked, uh, it's called The Long Walk. That, I'd give 5 out of 5. So, you know, recommend that very highly. These hit and miss, and I will talk in moments from now of them individually. Yay. I will, at this juncture, push this button that says Transition which will then take us into our talk on this book of a Wednesday. Transitioning away. Transition. Book, sorry, rather, short story, number one of 13. Oh, my God. Uh, it's kind of funny. If you, if you had have asked me how many books were in this collection, oh, my God. I keep saying books. How many short stories were in this collection? I would say, like, maybe seven or eight. But, when I wrote my notes for this collection, it turns out it's actually 13. So, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for this collection, but I've already given my rating, so what I'm going to do now is hop right into book the first... Oh, short story the first! That's going to be a problem, I have a feeling. Uh, it is titled Willa. Another thing I noticed when uh, jotting down some notes for these short stories huh, is that, uh, and I suppose this makes sense, that um, I remember the ones later in the book more than I do the ones at the start of the book, which I suppose uh, stands to reason. Willa 
is about a group of people at a train station. Oh, spooky. Well, not really. Well, it maybe it is. Uh, Willa is a girl who was at the train station and then is suddenly missing. So, this dude heads out looking for her. All the other members of this group are like, no, don't go. Don't go. He uh, heads off, hits the road, looking for Willa. Sees a sort of honky-tonk bar. Honky-tonk. Out in the sticks. And realizes this kind of... This kind of place is right up her alley for the reason that he he does know her and knows things she likes because I think he loves her. And she, I think, loves him. Aww. Adorables. Uh, goes into the Honky Donk Bar. Tunes are, uh, are a tune in the way. Sees Willa sitting at a table all by herself, despite the fact that the bar is incredibly crowded. That's odd, because she's a pretty lady. Further oddness... Is that... They're both ghosts! What? <laughs> I kind of just threw that one at you there. Uh, yeah, it turns out that all the people at this train station... And I think I've just realized that when it comes to short stories, they are easily spoiled, as I have just done so here. Uh, all the people at this train station were, in fact, ghosts who died in a horrible train accident um, that happened in indeterminate amount of time ago, so long ago though, that this train station is in disrepair and sort of been closed down for a long time. They, in their ghostly state, are perceiving it as just sort of a normal run-of-the-mill up-and-running train station, and they are waiting for their train to come. They have almost hidden in their subconscious the fact that they are all dead, but uh, it is not something they are willing to face. Hmm, it's just kind of an interesting ghosty thing that human beings taken suddenly are not willing to admit that they are, in, in fact, dead. That's uh, something that happens in ghost-type things often. Willa and eventually this guy are the only ones who are sort of coming to this realization, and they're, they're not too, too upset by it. They try to tell the others with limited to no success, especially because apparently... They've seen signs that this train station's going to be torn down, so they don't know what that would do to these other ghosty people. But it probably ain't good. Willa and a dude decide that they're going to haunt this honky-tonk bar for eternity. So yeah, that's uh, Willa. The next story, I, I think because there's 13 of them, I should go somewhat rapidly paced talking about them. Yay, yes. The next one is called The Gingerbread Girl. She must have gingerbread fallopian tubes then, yes? Gingerbread fallopian tubes, he says. This is about a woman who left her husband for the reason that their marriage sort of crumbled apart after the loss of a child. Yet another reason not to have a child in the first place. <coughs> More harm than good. Anyways, uh, she takes up running as a hobby slash uh, obsession, and it's as if she is metaphorically running away from her problems, really, when you think about it. She uh, leaves the husband and uh, heads up to the cottage, her father's cottage, in this sort of remote New England uh, area, I'm not really sure, or was it Florida? Maybe it was Florida, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Why am I dwelling on it? I don't know that either. She gets up there, and she's starting to sort of clear her head of the whole thing, getting her run on, 
each day she's able to run more and more, developing that sort of runner's physique. Eventually, she almost stumbles upon a crime. The crime being that uh, there is almost no one else living in these cottages for most of the year. She does notice that this one cottage has recently become habitated and uh, is jogging by and sees a car parked in the driveway. Coming out of the trunk of the car is hair. Human hair. Long blonde hair with maybe some blood in it and stuff. So she uh, sort of freaks the fuck out. Rather than immediately run and call the cops, she runs towards the car uh, and tries to see what the haps is. Which, in horror suspense things such as this, I suppose you have to suspend your disbelief a lot of the times. A lot of the times you'll make the assumption that a regular human being would run away from danger, whereas in movies and books of a horror and suspenseful nature, they will run towards it, which seems ridiculous. But hey, suspending, suspending. The guy who has committed this crime is an evil rich man. Is there no such thing as an evil poor man? Come on. That's what I'd like to see. You know what? Here's an idea for a book. A incredibly rich man who's incredibly nice, very philanthropic, and then a uh, super, super poor guy who's uh, incredibly evil and kills homeless people, his fellow homeless people. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Get out of these tropes a little bit. Anyways, uh, this guy captures the running girl and is sort of about to torture her to death, has to leave to go take care of some business with regards to getting any uh, evidence sort of hidden and, and things of that nature. Unimportant, unimportant. Because of her runner's physique, she is able to bust out of her captivity using her strong, strong muscles. Uh, that sets it up for kind of a cool scene where she is running along the beach after a harrowing escape, and he is chasing after her. He's not in the best of shapes, so it's sort of a, a losing battle a little bit. She's a little beaten up, though, so maybe that has evened the score a little bit. This I liked, the ending, which I'm going to spoil for you, because um, it was on a beach, and it turns out this guy has a phobia of the water for the reason that he can't swim. So uh, it sort of ends where she almost tricks him closer and closer into the water, eventually pulls him in with her, and uses her ability to swim and not fear of swimming to drown and kill him. The end. Happy ending? Sure. Short story number three, called Harvey's Dream. This was a pretty short one, as far as short stories go. This is on the shorter side of the short stories. It's a dude who has, I guess what you would say, a sort of prophetic dream. Uh, he wakes up, he and his wife have been uh, sort of like an older couple who have drifted apart after their uh, kids have fled the nest, and they're just sort of going through the motions. The wife is thinking, man, is this what my life has become? When the husband starts telling about a dream he had last night, and uh, she becomes interested in things he is saying for the first time in a long time. Uh, eventually re reaches a point where she, her sort of apprehension and eventually fear is growing and growing. She wants him to stop telling of this dream, but it won't. Things he is saying in the dream are sort of things that are happening. So it is as, as if his dream 
is happening right in this very moment. And the sort of twist here is that uh, she, at one point, is sort of turned away looking out the window. Uh, he's talking about how he gets a phone call that uh, their youngest daughter was involved in a hit-and-run, and she's looking out the window at their neighbor's car that has, like, a big dent in it with bloody hair. Yeah. So, uh, that's pretty fucked up. You know what? That one and this next one, called Rest Stop, I think may be the two shortest of the short stories. Uh, Rest Stop was interesting because it's a kind of a what-would-you-do-in-this-situation. And for that reason alone, uh, I enjoyed it. It's a picture you are at a rest stop, which I don't know if I've ever actually been at a rest stop. Uh, long drives where at the side of the road there is just a building to pee in. I don't know where one of those is. I don't know that I've ever seen one of those. Huh. Is that an American thing? It's, uh, yeah. My knowledge of rest stops is very, very limited. But that doesn't really matter because the situation is this dude stops for a piss and here's in the uh, here's in the woman's bathroom a couple fighting, having a heated exchange. Heated to the point where the guy has started to hit the girl. And it's escalating and escalating. And he's sort of nervously standing outside trying to figure out what he should do in this situation. Should he go in there and try to break it up? What uh, What should happen? Should he just ignore it? Should he go in and pee? Should he just leave immediately? Many, many things running through his head. And I think that's what I liked about this story, is that uh, most of the story is just what's taking place inside his head during these short series of events here. There was another little twist in that... I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly. I think he was an author? Anyways, it was almost as if he used a sort of multiple personality trick. The his normal author personality almost switched off and turned into the personality of one of the characters in his book, who's a bit of a badass, so it was as if, as if he pretended to be this guy, and he sort of took care of business as far as saving this girl and kind of beating the shit out of the guy a little bit, a little bit. That had another little, uh, little tidbit that kind of makes you sick a little bit because you can totally picture it happening. And that is, despite the fact that this girl was getting beat by this guy, uh, when the author intervened and started hitting the guy, the girl's like, no, no, don't. He doesn't know what he's doing. I love him. Blah, 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 blah. What the hell do you think you're doing? She eventually gets angry at the author for being, quote, unquote, saved. Uh, and that's the sort of thing where you you realize that must happen, and there's got to be some grains in the truth that women get in a position like that, and that sickens me. Do not hit. Don't hit, period. But don't hit women, exclamation point. Yeah, how about that? Okay, so the next one is called Stationary Bike. This one is about a dude who goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're, you're not in a horrible shape, but if you keep going down the road you're going, you're going to die. Just period. Full stop. So, I guess he takes it to heart. He's an artiste, an artist who's kind of stuck in the rut of doing just sort of art to make money. So, for, like, advertisements and stuff like that, he's not really doing art for his love of it. Uh, he heads home after this meeting with the doc and uh, immediately starts painting something for himself for a change. It turns out it's a uh, like a bunch of, I guess you would say, construction, maybe road workers, 
And I don't know how he knows, but he sort of just intuitively knows that these are the road workers who are uh, inside of his body taking care of things. Oh, you know what it is? Uh, the doctor gave him a, a sort of analogy that there are little guys working inside your body and so far, they've been able to keep up with the way you're treating your body. But if you keep going the way you're going, uh, it'll be a losing battle, that sort of idea. So he went home and painted that sort of analogy, which was kind of cool. And it was perhaps the painting of this that made him realize he had to turn shit around. So he gets a stationary bike. And this is where it gets even weirder. It's in sort of a basement, and he paints in front of it a sort of scenic view of a long, winding road. And uh, when he gets on this bike, he sort of zones out, zones out to the point where it's as if he is riding on this long, winding road, chugging along, chugging along. He sort of zones out to the point where he's had to purchase an alarm to set off in order to basically bring himself back. Uh, and the longer he goes, the more maybe trapped. Yeah, I think you could say trapped. The more trapped he gets in this painting, the more difficult he finds it to pull himself out of this trance and to uh, sort of come to the realization that he's just on a stationary bike in a basement looking at a painted wall. That's a very, very cool idea. Now, because he's taking such good care of his body, these uh, construction workers are not needing to do as much work as they used to. So, <laughs> this is further weirdness. They uh, are not getting paid as much and are, in fact, sometimes getting laid off because there's just not enough work for them. So one of them, unable to support his family, has killed himself. Uh, this sort of came about in a dream that the guy had. He thinks he's losing his mind, I suppose rightly so. Eventually, pedaling down this road, he sees evidence of these construction workers in the form of, like, a gas station. It even reaches the point where uh, they're sort of chasing after him in a car. And he's like, okay, I have to stop doing this. Or are they going to catch me and do something to me? So he decides he's got to take the bike apart and just forget about it. Forget about it. Uh, this has become such a compulsion, though, that he's kind of like, oh, you know what? One more ride. One more ride before I before I bust this up. That ends up being the ride where the guys actually catch up with him. Oh, baby. They're threatening violence. It's almost a little anticlimactic, but kind of cool, in that they come to the, they come to the compromise that uh, this guy is not going to go freaking out on it with his exercise and eating healthy. He's going to continue it a little bit, but he's still going to have the odd, you know, bowl of ice cream and shit like that to keep these guys in work. Uh, so, very, very strange idea. So now, when I eat a bowl of ice cream, I can be like, you know what, I just don't want the construction workers that live inside my body to uh, kill themselves because they can't feed their family. I don't want that on my conscience. Nom, 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 is what I'll say, because I'm a weirdo. All right, folks, uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense that I wasn't able to even closely finish that on the drive to work. So, I will be back after eight hours of work, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap her up. The rest of the short stories is what'll happen. That'll leave one final thing to say that I sometimes say and sometimes do not say, and that is, oh, my job. Look at her butt. I'm
We are on a time thing, so speed is of the essence. Short story number six, The Things That They Left Behind, is what it's called. Uh, this is about a dude who uh, had, a, I guess, a sort of premonition, I guess is what you would say. Kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of that uh, he should not go into work one day. That day happened to be 9-11, never forget. And uh, he worked in one of the uh, Twin Towers. So, that's spooky right there. You know what? A real, actual, factual, real life is uh, that... Oh, what the hell's his name? Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on one of the planes that crashed into the Twin Towers, but uh, missed it for some reason. Uh, I heard him tell the story, and I kind of wish I didn't, and just knew that one little tidbit. But he, he sort of prefaces it a little bit with the fact that he's missed plenty of flights in his time, and it's not unusual for him to miss flights. So that makes the story much worse. And I wish I didn't know it, or say it for you. So pretend I didn't say it. And when you tell somebody else this story, and I know you will, leave that part out of it, maybe. Okay, so that right there, a little on the spooky side. Now, where the crazy Stephen Kingness pops in is that uh, people in his office who died on this day, their sort of personal belongings that were in their respective offices and cubicles start popping up in his apartment, and it freaks him the fuck out. Needless to say. The resolution, I suppose, is that he takes these objects... And at first just chucks them, gets rid of them, throws them away, because they are evidence of his insanity, seemingly. Uh, of course, like the cat, they come back the very next day. So uh, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, I guess makes it almost logical, and it's kind of weird that this is a sort of logical assumption in this point, at this point, that maybe he should bring these objects back to the family members that are missing these people, and that's what he does. And then when the objects are gone, from that point they're gone, and he has a sense of sort of fulfillment and happiness that he has uh, brought joy, or at the very least closure, to these people. Interesting idea. Uh, you know what I'll mention at this point is that the, at the end of this book, Stephen King uh, talks a little bit about where all these stories came from, and he sort of has the idea that all fiction writers, after the events of 9-11, will have within their brains a story that sort of either came to fruition because of those events or is outright about those events. And uh, I thought that was an interesting idea, so I mention it here. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Next one may win for the shortest of the short stories. It's called Graduation Afternoon. It's about a girl who is with her, uh, I guess, high school boyfriend. He's a rich kid. She's from the wrong side of the tracks. And uh, it's the afternoon of their graduation, hanging out by the pool, having a little party. And what happens? But 
uh, a nuclear explosion blows up New York. They're in, I guess, sort of Manhattan outskirts or some such. And uh, that's the story. It was short, but sweet. Sweet for the reason that, if you've listened to many of these podcasts, you will know I'm a fan of the post-apocalyptic apocalypse things. I suppose it's not fair to say simply post-apocalyptic. I should also say um, just pre-apocalypse, um, during apocalypse, and post-apocalypse. I like the whole schmozzle. Why do I like it? I don't know. I'm obviously not alone, for the reason that there exists a shit ton of that sort of material out there for people to experience, so I don't think I'm too much of a weirdo, but there's a certain weirdness about my love of that as a subject matter. Okay, moving on to the next, simply titled N, as in the letter N, followed by a a period. So N period, or would you just say N? Probably just say N. Uh, This one, I think for me, was the scariest, I think, in terms of just actual kind of gave me the creeps a little bit. So uh, does that mean it's the best? Maybe. Maybe it does. This is about a dude by the name of N. That's not his actual name. However, this is all sort of told from the point of view of, I guess, notes from a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. Uh, And in order to keep his patient's anonymity, he just puts uh, the letter N to indicate whatever the person's name is. This person has super, super severe OCD, just high levels. Uh, It comes in sort of three forms. There's uh, counting. He has to sort of constantly be counting things. There's uh, arranging. He's got to arrange things in certain order. Uh, And there is touching things. He'll have to touch things a certain amount of times. There's many, many examples in this short story of ways in which he has to go about these things. Like, it gets very, very specific, actually, which I uh, appreciate. Now, he wasn't always like this. Ah, this is where we're getting the Stephen Kingness in it, and I like it. Uh, he came across in a field one day a grouping of eight stones. Ooh, ominous. Uh... What I was picturing in my brain as I read this was a sort of, maybe a rough-hewn kind of Stonehenge-esque look about it. That's kind of how it was described. Now, one minute he would see these eight stones, and the next, ominously, there would only be seven. And in place of the middle eighth stone was a sort of darkness, almost impenetrable, almost am I actually seeing it or am I not, a sort of fading of reality is how you could look at it, and it was from sort of this point on, he almost intuitively comes to the conclusion that if this eighth stone remains, uh, for lack of a better descriptor, disappeared, it will mean that something on the other side of this murkiness will come through to our world and destroy all existence. And he is the only one who can stop this, whatever it is. The only way he can stop it is through these various OCD things. Things that he does that somehow, some way, both bring the eighth stone back into existence and thereby keep the evil on that side of the veil, the murky veil. 
Yeah, uh, cool, cool idea. What I liked about it, I don't know. <laughs> it just, uh, it did freak me out a little bit for some reason. Uh, probably was, probably what had a hand in that was the fact that it, it turns out this OCD and being a protector of our world is contagious. So this guy ends up uh, eventually killing himself. This OCD sort of drives him insane. And uh, somehow, some way, his talking about it to the doctor uh, got the doctor curious. Curious more than normal would happen to the point where he seeks out this field and then the same thing happens to him. He sort of writes it off at first as, ah, oh, it was nothing. But eventually the same thing starts happening to him. And eventually we're sort of reading his notes for the reason that he too killed himself in a very, very similar fashion. What the fuck? Yeah, I really like that one. Okay, uh, book. Book. Fuck. Short story number nine, or Nuff, if you prefer the French, is called The Cat from Hell. It's about an evil cat. Whatever. I didn't... Yeah, it's a short story about a evil cat that kills and stuff. I'm not going to talk about that one because we don't have time. And it wasn't my favorite because I'm not a cat person or a dog person or a animal person in general for that matter. The missus wants to get a dog and I am strongly opposed. Strongly. So, we'll see about that. The next one is called The New York Times at a Special Bargain Rate. This one, uh, kind of short as well and didn't really pull me in. It's about a woman whose husband died and yet she receives a phone call from him, seemingly from the afterlife. Hmm, interesting. Eh, it wasn't really. Yeah, The Cat from Hell and this one, I don't know, maybe I was just not in the mood for a Stephen King-style short story while I read both of these, because they're both not leaving a big impression in my brain as far as me liking them too much. So that's interesting. The fact that they're back-to-back, -back, maybe it had something... Uh, to do with my mood the day that I read them. Interesting thought, because I did like the next one. It was called Mute. This has a sort of uh, maybe a campfire story. I don't know why I'm sort of getting that, like, guy with a hook for a hand impression. Oh, you know what? Uh, no, yeah, I don't know why I'm getting that impression. Anyways, it's about a gentleman who is telling this story in a confessional to a priest, a priest who's very, very strange, and uh, I think I like that. Not at all priestly, really. And I thought the priest's uh, attitude and sort of demeanor as a whole was going to somehow play into the story, but it never really did. It was just this story that I'm about to talk about, and then the priest, who could have been 100% normal priestly, but for some reason was not. So I, I like that little twist. It didn't make sense, but it doesn't need to make sense all the time. Anyways, the guy confessing is telling a story of how he picked up a hitchhiker, a hitchhiker who was a deaf mute. He knew this guy was a deaf mute for the reason that he had a sign that said, please give me a ride, I'm a deaf mute. <laughs> that sort of idea. And uh, this guy had recently split up from his wife, his wife who's a real pain in the behind. His wife who left him for a younger, douchier guy. Uh, his wife who embezzled 
a shit ton of money, ran off with this guy, and uh, just a really, really sad state of affairs. And on top of it, seems like a real bitch. So, he doesn't want this fact to get out. However, this guy's a deaf mute, so might as well freaking tell his story. Might as well pour his soul out to this guy. So that's just what he does. The whole time, the deaf mute guy is not reacting. In fact, is seemingly, for a lot of it, possibly even asleep. So he just lets loose with the whole story. Now, where the confession to the priest comes in with is with the fact that his wife and the guy that she ran off with were murdered. Murdered most foul. In a brutally violent fashion. And it turns out it was done by this deaf mute guy who was not in fact at least deaf maybe he was still mute i don't know but he wasn't deaf because he heard the whole story and i guess a combination of being uh, grateful for the ride as well as re as being an insane person decides to take action into his own hands and what have you story proceeds from there or ends there the story of the short variety, number 12 is called Ayana. Ayana. Anyways, it's a name that is spelled A Y A N A. Ayana. It's about a family who is sort of sitting around the bedside of their father who is aged and dying of cancer. So that uh, brought me down, actually, and I don't want to talk about this one. Because it uh, reminds me of my grandfather, who died of cancer, and makes me very, very sad. So I am not going to talk about this one, I've just decided, despite the fact that I wrote down a few things about it. Oh boy. <laughs> the last one is called A Very Tight Place. This one probably, and I think I touched on this already, is in my brain the strongest, potentially because it was the last one I read. Potentially because it was good, because I, I, I did like it. It's about a couple of uh, feuding old dudes. Uh, they're both rich. They both are living in Florida. The feud has to do with uh, one of the old dudes, uh, actually both of them, buying a piece of property from this sort of senile old man. And they both, I guess, have witnesses to this fact, and they've been fighting in court it's all sort of a very muddy issue of who actually owns the property. And the protagonist of this is sort of keeping it in the courts for the reason that he actually wants this property left alone to remain pristine. Whereas the, uh, the other guy, let's call him the bad guy, he wants to turn it into condos. He doesn't, uh, so the good guy... We'll just, we'll just go good guy, bad guy, before the reason I didn't write down names, and what's the deal with names? You don't always need them. Uh, the good guy doesn't want all these touristy, summer vacation-y folks coming in this area where they both live. Huh. It progressed to the degree where the bad guy put up a electric fence, and the electric fence killed the good guy's dog. What? Uh, the good guy sued the bad guy, so that is another sort of matter for the courts. Eventually, the good guy has basically lost his shit for the reason that his wife left him. There's all this court shit going on. 
he's got many sort of irons in the fire as financially that are sort of all crumbling around him. And he is blaming the good guy for all of this. He's calling him a gay witch. Oh, uh, the good guy is gay. Yeah, I forgot to mention that part. <laughs> the bad guy believes that gay people have the ability to put curses on um, people, I guess. Whatever. Anyways, the whole point of this story is to get to the situation where the bad guy manages to trick the good guy into getting him to this construction site and then pulls a gun on him and says, get in that porta potty or Santa potty or uh, I, I think they have different names depending on where you are here in Canada, in Ontario. We, at least all the times I have really heard them referred to, have been called porta potties, portable johns. You know what I mean? Usually those big blue guess they don't have to be blue. Plastic things that you poop in. I don't know why I'm dwelling on what they're called so much, but uh, so he gets them inside that thing and then tips it over. Now, there's some explanation as to why he couldn't just sort of bust out of it. Why? Because if you've ever been in one, they're normally just cheap plastic. Apparently, on construction sites, they will uh, cover these in metal for the reason that trespassers will um, bust them open. Uh, yeah, that's I'm going to need to suspend my disbelief a little bit on that fact. Maybe it's true. I don't know. It seems unlikely, though. Paying for the metal to sheet one of these things, probably more expensive than just buying a new one or renting a new one. Normally they're rented, I assume. Whatever, whatever. Let's not dwell on that. He can't get out. He's covered in shit. <laughs> Very claustrophobic. Did I mention it's in Florida? Incredibly hot, humid, and covered in shit. How does he get out? Well, I'll tell you how he gets out. No, I won't. In fact, since I'm so close to home, and this is the last story of the short stories, why don't I not spoil how he gets out? Ha <laughs> ha, tease. That means you're going to have to go read that story for yourself. Oh, what was it called? Did I even say? A very tight place it was called. So, please... Maybe go read that for yourself. Hey, how about them apples? Folks, we did it. 13, just about. We'll go 12 and a half because I didn't do the sad cancer one. Oh, boy. So, uh, mission accomplished, basically. That will leave one final thing to say, which is always the final thing to say, which is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? 
best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. Live long and prosper.